0: Together, we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good
1: morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together and recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. Uh, Talk about our offering before we go any further. Um, If you would like to contribute this morning, uh, check or cash. You can do so on the way out. There'll be people at the doors with little buckets, and you can hand uh, put your uh, donation there. Or you can give online. A lot of people have signed up for recurrent giving. It just happens automatically every week or month, however you want to set it up. Uh, and then others give uh, online with their phone. We were doing text to give, but it is now gotten way too complicated. It's gotten worse and worse. The most recent one, they changed our 77977 number to 833 And I said, no, we're not doing this anymore. So, but you can still use your phone as you saw in the announcements. Um, there's an app, Celebration Church app, where you can get all kinds of information about the church, get updates from what's going on from the church. You really, all, all of you should have this on your phone particularly in really bad weather times. Uh, you'll immediately get updates of a service has been canceled or whatever and you won't have to listen to the news for three hours to listen to all the listings of opens or closings. Um, but uh, you can give. Now, at the bottom, you can put uh, a thing to give and, uh, and do it that way. Now, today is Missions Sunday. What is that? Once a month, we do a special... Offering asking you to give above and beyond what you normally give. So, whatever you normally give, that's your tithe. And then, this is an offering above and beyond uh, that we give for like well projects to our uh, uh, missionaries that we support around the world, to the orphanages and stuff that we support in advancing the kingdom of God. So, this morning we ask you to give. uh, And even even if you do recurrent giving stuff, you can still give a special offering on the app. What you do is instead of giving to a specific campus, you go to the bottom and you'll see missions and you just bring that in and voila. Push the button and push the button. (laughs) Yeesh, there we go, all right. There you go, cool. So anyway, remember that, if you come up with a special gift that you can give today towards our missions projects. All right, we are in the season of Pentecost. God moving throughout the world still today, finishing and still writing the book of Acts. We are looking at uh, uh, Proverbs, the 18th chapter, verse 21. I wanna talk about something I touched on briefly last week, and that has to do with your tongue, the power of your words that you speak in your life. Proverbs 18, 21, you should memorize this verse. The tongue has the power of life and death. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Now the tongue can create all kinds of problems and there's warnings throughout the Bible about watch what you say. Uh, I think in our current situation being in this life and in this world, we think our words don't really mean anything, but they really mean a great deal, more than we're aware of. Um, James in the New Testament writes about the power of the tongue, actually warns us about the power of the tongue. Let's look at that this morning. James, the first chapter, I'm sorry, third chapter starting at verse one. And he starts out like this. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know, we who teach will be judged more strictly. Kind of a creepy thing for those of us who do teach. Uh, By the way, some people say, well, this is proof that Pastors are held to a higher standard. It is not proof of any such thing. What it's saying is that we all live the same standard, it's just those who teach will be judged more strictly. Uh, and, the, and I'm going to just go down a little rabbit hole just for a minute uh, on this whole thing. The idea that a pastor or a Christian leader or a bishop or elder, or whatever, is at a higher standard than everybody else is pure, unadulterated nonsense. There's only one standard in Christianity, and that's the Christian faith and what the Bible calls it. And we're all called to live to the same standard. Say, so, well, Paul said that there's special qualifications. for now. they're not special qualifications. He just lists what is required of all of us. Let's look at it. First Timothy, the third chapter, starting at verse one. He writes, here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer is the translated word here. In other words, who watches over the church uh, in whatever role, desires a noble task. And then he starts showing the qualifications. But these are not unique qualifications. All he's saying is this is the standard, the Christian standard that these guys should live that we're all called to. If he's not living it, then he should not be uh, allowed to become an overseer. So... So he says, the overseer is to be above reproach. Well, we're all supposed to be above reproach. You're supposed to be faithful to your wife. Well, we're all supposed to be faithful to our wives. And all the women said, amen. All right, it's not just, well, the pastor has to, but I don't have to. No, 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 we all have to do this. Uh, We need to be temperate, self-controlled, which means control yourself. All right, we're supposed to live a life that is respectable hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness. We shouldn't be getting hammered. Somebody say amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> that was a quiet amen. Yeah, I know. Okay, praise the Lord. Yeah, okay. Not supposed to be violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Money, 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 money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children are not little demons. All right. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. And he goes on to say, look, if anyone doesn't know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? This is all common sense stuff, but we're all supposed to live this way. These are not holier standards for pastors. Uh, He must not be a recent convert, obviously, or he would become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. That's what happened to the devil, got all cocky. Uh, he must also have a good relationship, reputation with others. We're all supposed to have that so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So he sets out these All he is doing is saying, if you're going to put someone in leadership position in a church, run him through the gamut is make sure he is living the kind of life we are all supposed to live. These are not holy. I am not holier than any of you. No pastor is. Now I get people like to respect pastors and stuff. And one of the things I love about our church is there is a lot of respect towards the pastors here. And I greatly appreciate it. Uh, There are parts of the country where there is very little respect towards, you know, uh, men in the ministry. In fact, a lot of guys run around constantly checking out the pastor, make sure they're keeping him in line. You know, it's just disrespect. And they look for any reason to make his life miserable. I have never encountered that here. Thanks be to God, uh, or I'd go do something else. <laughs> One person's happy about that. Praise the Lord! All right, so, and I'm with you, um, but and it's not uh, and it's not something that is something that I think that is disqualifying after someone is a pastor or a leader or a bishop or whatever his deal is. Let me explain. He is saying, look, before you put someone in this, this is the standard. Make sure he's living by the standard. But this is not to be that if all of a sudden, 10, 20, 30 years later, something happens in his life and he's struggling in an area, that you now throw him out the door because he's not meeting the standard anymore. No, look, we all struggle. Everybody struggles in life, okay? For example, he's supposed to be getting along with his wife, all right? On occasion, it's been reported that some people have a hard time getting along with their wives. I know it's an extreme situation, all right? Look, if you're not arguing with your spouse at some point, you're probably single. All right. We all have issues. Okay. Now, if someone, I mean, they're always fighting and stuff like that and say, well, you know, what about Larry over there? Say, so, Well, man, he can't get along his own way. Well, yeah, that's kind of, but if later in life, I know of pastors, some major national pastors that the wife just left him for whatever reason. She decided to be unfaithful. And a lot of churches, they can him. They throw him out the door. Well, he's not meeting the Ah, Oh, come on, you know? Or like with kids. You know, you raise your kids, and at some point, they become adults and make their own decisions. I know of churches that if a teenager or something's acting up, then they think they should be able to throw the pastor out. Because this, he, you know, manages children well. Which, by the way, you know, Paul talks about, in 1 Corinthians, the love chapter, Kind of a famous verse. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childhood behind me. You know how old he was when this happened? Thirteen. He's a Jewish boy. They become adult men at the age of 13. That's when they have their bar mitzvahs. That's what their big celebration. The fact that a kid at some later age in teenage or early 20s and stuff go off the rails. That is not on the parent. And I know parents who feel terrible because their kids, you know, no longer follow the faith and stuff like that and say, well, I failed. Look, if an errant child is a sign of failure to a parent, then God's the biggest failure of all time. Look at the mess we're in, right? All right. So it's, it's not a reflection. It's one thing when they're little ones and you, you know, teach them disciplines and stuff like that. That should be. But if later on they make a decision to do something else, You know, so anyway, I I just don't, I don't think this is something that you take and you cancel a person's life out who's been studying and preparing and serving for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. That kind of nonsense really needs to stop in churches uh, because it's just wrong. They're just wrong. That's not what this is about. Uh, You know, this is about making sure that they're following the basic standards that we all have to live by. Okay, but let's go back to James now. That was a little rabbit trail. James, back to James chapter three, he says, not many of you should become teachers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And this is his point. We all stumble in many ways. Everybody messes up. Everybody messes up. I know it's a shock, but even I mess up from time to time. It is what it is. We live in a broken, fallen world. And he says, because of this, you know, you're gonna be judged more strictly. We all mess up. So he's saying, you know, Keep that in mind. And then he really goes on to talk about an area where everybody messes up. He says, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Able to keep their whole body in check. It is the ultimate failing point of virtually everyone. We say things we shouldn't say. And it gets us in trouble. James goes on to say, We, when we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, you know, some of you are horse people. Deanna used to be a horse person. She had horses. I don't ride horses. I hate horses because they hate me and they throw me in or demon possessed. The only horse I ride is when you're going in a circle at the fair, you know, and they're all tied and they don't go anywhere. That kind of horse. I can ride that horse. But anyway, he said, here you take these incredible animals and they're very powerful animals, right? Uh, he says, and, and you make them obey by putting, a, a bit in its mouth, just that it controls that whole beast to do what you want it to do and go where you want it to go. Um, and he's using the analogy of the same with our mouths. Our mouths can control your mouth can absolutely control the direction of your life. My guess is if your life really stinks, you got a problem right here. And you are saying things you shouldn't be saying. You're poisoning your own life. Again, the power of life and death. He says, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Got all this power in the ships. And it all comes down to a little tiny rudder. Where it's gonna go. Same in our lives. Of all this, the one thing that can point your direction. All right. He's saying, be careful with that rascal. He says, consider what, uh, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by such a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and it, and is itself set on fire by hell. Ouch. You want to light the course of your life on fire from the fire of hell? Every little thing that you're thinking and feeling. By the way, this is very countercultural. We live in a culture that's been dominated, secular reasoning and stuff, and from psychologists. One of the things psychologists have told us for what? Decades. Most important thing is you're always honest with how you feel. Don't hold in things. It's bad for you to hold in your emotions. You've heard the stupidity, right? When the Bible says only a fool gives full vent to his emotions, who are you gonna to listen to? One of the problems in our nation is everybody's gotta say everything they feel at any given, and they're just constantly taking the fire of hell and lighting themselves on fire and making a disaster of their lives because they can't shut up. Now look, I get it. We all have our moments, we have to get stuff off our chest. I get that. And we have our arguments, we have to, but just there's people and they never stop just constantly spewing negative, 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 negative. And don't do that. It is poisonous and destructive to your life. This isn't going to work. I'm going to lose my job. Ah, Gas is going too high. We're going to fail. Just man alive. It must suck to be you. Stop it. Always saying now, That's not that you can't acknowledge things are bad. Oh, this is going bad. This awful thing might happen, but you know what? We're going to be okay because God is faithful. When he closes the door, he'll open up another door. There's always a way. God will make a way no matter what's going on. Have some faith. Speak some life over your life. And you control the direction and the course of your life. I know this is hard because some of you are looking at me like a dog in a new dish. You control the direction of your life with this. What do you speak over your life? What do you speak to your kids? What do you speak to your marriage? What do you say? Everybody's always just ah, 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 negative, nasty, vomiting up one thing or the other. It becomes a major problem. And uh, James warns us uh, about the tongue. Be careful. Be mindful of what you say. As the proverb says, it controls the power of life and death. You speak, some people, I'm telling it, even born-again Christians who love God with all their heart spend the majority of their time just speaking death over their lives. Everything's not quite right. Nothing always criticizing, always complaining, always pointing out what's wrong. Oh, this is bad, that's bad, this isn't gonna work, he's an idiot, she's a bigger idiot. La, 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 la. Let's go to church and praise the Lord. <laughs> hey, Pastor, my life stinks, why? Shut up with that stuff, stop! What did your mama say if you don't have something good to say? Stick it. Exactly. Stop it. You know? And more than that, more than just not saying, how about doing the opposite? How about intentionally saying something nice? And it's hard. I'm telling you, I had a soul-searching time working on this sermon because I had to look at Marky, you know? And And I, you know, sometimes this is painful. And I go, ugh. I'm guilty. I'm guilty, man. Just like, you know. Of course, If you're never guilty, then you're perfect and nobody's perfect. But just as a good lesson for me, stop pointing out the bad about everything and start talking life, speaking life, have some faith. Anyway, the tongue is a real problem in our lives. That's why I get, I think it's such a cool thing about this whole idea of speaking in tongues, which we've been talking about during this season of Pentecost. Uh, it's, It's such an amazing thing. God takes that one part of your body, your life that you don't seem to control and creates problems and then speaks a heavenly language through you to bring nothing but blessing and life. So I don't know what's being said. Nobody knows what's being said. All right. It's a very, very powerful thing. It's just interesting that he would focus on this area that creates all of these problems, unruly thing. Now, um, when Paul, the apostle writes about tongues, uh, and he gets into in great detail in first Corinthians for several chapters uh there's several places in the writings of Paul where he starts trying to explain things in great detail and the more he does it the more confusing it gets and i don't know if it's just that's the way they talked obviously in reasoned 2000 years ago in the greek language or uh, some things are lost in translation i don't know there's a handful of places Where he says one thing, and it sounds like he says the opposite, and then he says the other thing, and back it up, and it gets a little confusing. And sometimes it's like that with with speaking in tongues. Specifically, and some people struggle with this, is the idea of, well, if someone speaks in tongues, they're supposed to interpret what is being said. Yes and no. There's two contexts that he's speaking about. One is the context of divine gifts of the Spirit. That are there to bless everybody. A word of knowledge, a a prophetic word that you might speak to someone, laying hands on someone, having a gift of healing. And and he talks about all these different gifts. Uh, uh, He lists this, where is it, in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. He says, To one will be miraculous powers, another one prophecy, to another, being able to distinguish between spirits to another speaking in different kinds of tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues. And he goes on to say, if you're not interpreting the tongues, you shouldn't speak in tongues, but that is talking in a public gathering. And it says, interpret, it doesn't say translate. It's not word for word. Uh, and who knows, it's kind of like even a sense. You might be in a meeting and I don't know, many of us with charismatic backgrounds have been in meetings where someone will speak in tongues like that and we're praying and then all of a sudden someone will say, Boy, I just really feel like God was trying to say, such, such, saying such and such to us. And, and it's very cool. Don't try to overthink everything. It's not a, trans, a translation. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's an interpretation, it says. Don't confuse the two. Word for word translations don't always hit the proper interpretation. Even in human languages, it's like this. For example, in Spanish you speak Spanish, my dear. You know, if I were to say, I love you, I'd say, te quiero. All right. Te quiero mucho. I love you a lot. Okay. Uh, literally that's, that's the, that's the interpretation. Literally. It means I want you, which in English has a sexual connotation. (laughs) Some guy comes up to me and says, I want you get away from me, dude. What are you talking about? You know what I'm saying? So it doesn't always sell that way. So Stop thinking in terms of science and literal and stuff. It's just an interpretation of of what is being expressed in a spiritual sense. That's the kind of thing that should happen. Then there's the other version of tongues, which is just praying in tongues, where there is no interpretation. And that's why between the two, you jump back and forth. It's hard to understand. A lot of people who get filled with the Holy Spirit, not everybody, but a lot of them, they start to speak in tongues. It becomes part of their prayer life. And it's a very powerful thing. Ah, la, 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 la. This is what Paul is referencing when he says in Ephesians six, um, I, to pray in the spirit. That's the phraseology they would use when people would pray in tongues. Pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And and keep this in, uh, for those of you who do this or just recently started doing this. Keep doing it. When you pray, take a time where you just speak in these words. You don't even know what you're saying. I'm kind of, it will bless you. It'll empower you. Like Paul says, pray all kinds of prayers, and one of them is praying in the spirit. Um, he said, well, I don't understand what I'm saying. Well, he says in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4, anyone who speaks in tongues edifies themselves. You build yourself up, okay? That's why he says those who prophesy edify the church. That's when he's telling people, don't do this unless you're interpreting it. But then it talks about the personal prayer. And he says, so what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. I'll sing with my spirit. That's kind of a neat thing. What is that? It's, you just take a song and, and these whatever syllables and words coming in. It's like, it's great when you can't remember the words to the song. Sing in the spirit, sing in tongues. Also, I'll sing with my understanding. And he says this, I thank God I speak in tongues than all of you. I mean, he was definitely a prayer in tongues as many were and still even many to this day. And here's anything about the uh, gifts of the spirit. They are universal and it moves in all kinds of churches. There are Catholic charismatics. There's Lutheran charismatics. There's uh, Anglican charismatics. There's all kinds of them all over the place. And they all seem to have the same vibe, the same. It's like, well, we, on, on Pentecost Sunday, when they, we had that time of prayer and stuff that night, and people were praying. It was totally awesome. Uh, and, it's, it's, and it's very universal. I saw this clip. I want to play it for, it's only three minutes long. This is from a Catholic priest who is a charismatic catholic and uh what's his name your father michael nixon very articulate guy anyway he talks about uh the charismatic experience
0: lift your hands praying in tongues gifts of prophecy and healing what about the catholic charismatic renewal today i'm made for glory I remember the first time I was exposed to charismatics in the Catholic Church. Charismatics are Catholics who pray in the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes they'll pray in tongues. A lot of times they'll pray over one another. For healing, there'll be different manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Words of wisdom. Sometimes people will be knocked out cold. They'll be they'll be slain in the Holy Spirit, and it was kind of shocking for me uh, to experience that because it was very different than the Catholic Church that I had grown up with, where uh, you didn't. There wasn't a lot of uh, emotion. There wasn't a lot of expression. There wasn't a lot of raising up your hands, except for when we'd hold hands during the Our Father. So this was very new to me. So. Coming to know the charismatic renewal has been something that has enriched my faith and the faith of of tens of thousands of other people. Uh, Pope Francis has recently called the charismatic renewal a current of grace running through the church. So it's not outside the church, it's not like a parachurch or some other sect. It's part of the church, it's within the church, but it is this current of grace um, where people are open to the power of the Holy Spirit, where they're praying for a, a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit in their lives, sometimes called a baptism in the Holy Spirit, where people are alive to the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives them. It draws them into a, being able to have a relationship with Jesus that is deep and intimate and personal and really empowers people to be able to share this with others. Uh, so the, the great papal preacher, the, the guy who preaches to the pope, is, is a priest named uh, Father Renero Consula Mesa. And he's part of the charismatic renewal. And he speaks about uh, this, this sober intoxication of the Holy Spirit. The sober intoxication. meaning you're, you're not you haven't lost control. You're not drunk in you know uh, in any sort of um, unseemly way. But you're filled with this 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 power, this joy that is overwhelming. That is is so beautiful and abusive that you want to share it with other people. So as a current within the church, it allows our faith to come alive. So hopefully you can check out the charismatic renewal, not as something off to the side or some secret part of the church, but at the very heart of the church. This reality that we are all called to come alive in the. Fire from heaven—the Holy Spirit that has been been given to us. We are called to cultivate love for Scripture, a deep personal and intimate relationship with Jesus, and the desire to share that with others. So, as members of the church founded by Jesus, filled with those charisms, those gifts, the charismatic renewal and bodies, hopefully today we can say yes to the gift of the Spirit, allow Him to be active in our lives.
1: And it sounds just
0: like what we've been talking about here. In fact, any church
1: or anybody who is alive with this charismatic expression, they all sound the same. It doesn't matter about them. You know, he's Roman Catholic. I'm not Roman Catholic. We're not Roman Catholic. We're not anti-Catholic, but we're not. uh, Don't agree on a lot of things. But in all kinds of churches, and it's very empowering. Now, there are churches, I've been speaking about this, that... Speak very intensely against this. A lot of evangelical Bible-based churches have spoken against it. I think because they're always trying to explain and understand everything, which is their strength and their weakness at the same time. And if you've been in that kind of setting, this kind of stuff I'm talking about is really difficult for you. Even if you totally agree with everything I've been saying about it, to experience it becomes problematic because it's hard to erase 30 years of being drilled. This is bad. This is bad. This is bad. And then all of a sudden, you know, uh, you're trying to express it, and and I. I don't know what to say to you, except to encourage you to embrace the mystery. Start living the kind of Christian faith, you don't have to explain everything. Everything doesn't have to be broken down. Again, one of the great strengths of the evangelical church is their real strong Bible teaching, but one of their weaknesses, they take it to the point where if they can't explain everything, they don't accept it and blow it away. There's parts of our faith you can't explain. You can't explain some of this stuff. Who cares? Embrace the mystery, let God be God and embrace this wonderful, powerful thing. Anyway, so I just think it's fascinating in this context of what, how much your tongue can mess you up, how much it can also be used uh, to bless you. But to close it back to uh, Proverbs 18:21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Uh, in closing, I was listening to this uh, thing on YouTube. Uh, oftentimes, I don't know if you've ever listened to these uh, stories of people who died and then came back. You know, their heart stopped and they came back. Some of it's really fascinating. I'm not sure how accurate a lot of that is and who knows what's really happening. But uh, I was listening to this one guy and he had been raised in the church. He wasn't really living right. But uh, um, he was, I don't know if an accident or whatever, he's in the emergency room. His heart stops. And like so many people, one common thing is they all see themselves and they start drifting off to another place. And uh, he found himself kind of in this hallway type thing, the way he was describing it. And, you know, he was really angry that he didn't want to die. And he started getting mad and yelling, maybe even some cursing or something like that. And he says, whenever he would speak something negative like that, he could hear screeches of delight from, from the dark end of this place. And he was being pulled and it started freaking him out. Because he thinks, oh my gosh, I'm going to hell. And in his panic, he started praying some prayers that he remembered as a kid. And whenever he speaks something positive, it was like the angels celebrated and he was being pulled the other way and stuff like that. And then eventually his heart starts popping and he pops back up. Now how accurate that is, I don't know. But what if that's really what's happening in our real life? Because that's what the Bible implies. We are speaking life and death. Again, we're not aware of it because we just think they're words. And words don't mean anything. Sticks and stones may break my wound, but words will never hurt me. And we think, in the reality, words will do terrible damage to you. And as long as you keep speaking negative, critical, pointing out what's wrong, no faith, it's going to be awful. All you're doing is speaking death into your life and pulling you in a bad direction. Say, oh, well, that sent me to hell. No, I don't think we're, that's not what it's about. We don't earn our way to heaven or work our way to hell. It's just why get in a situation where you're being pulled away from faith. You want to succeed in life. Let's stop speaking death. What if every time we were just constantly reminded of ourselves that when we spoke evil, critical, nasty, unbelief, that demons screech and delight. But when we start speaking life, angels sing praises, and we are drawn to life. Let's enjoy the fruit, the Bible says of it. You determine, it's not me, you determine the direction with this. And uh, it's just a good reminder today to remember, let's point ourselves in the right direction by speaking words of life, trusting God, and speaking his word into our lives. Amen. All right, so now we're gonna end our service with our time of communion, uh, which is what we do every Sunday. This is when we kind of reflect on what Jesus did on the cross for our sins. And it's a time to reflect, kind of reset, The Bible says before we take communion, we should examine ourselves. So let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. I'm gonna pray a word of, uh, a prayer of forgiveness over everyone. And as I do this, maybe you remember something that in the last week that you got wrong. Just confess it to God and let's keep short accounts with God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you before uh, we take communion that we can have a time to pause and examine ourselves. If we've sinned against you, by something we said, uh, as we were talking about words this morning, help us to speak life. Maybe something we did that we shouldn't have done, something we didn't do that we should have done, whatever area that we have failed in this week. We ask you to forgive us for the sake of your son Jesus, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Have mercy on us, O Lord. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, keep us in your eternal life that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And as heads are still bowed. Maybe you're here this morning watching online, whatever. And you're thinking, you know, I've never experienced anything like this. I've never experienced anything of God in my life. All you have to do is right now ask Jesus to come into your life. Say, Jesus, please come into my life and forgive me of my sins. And he can do this dramatic reset inside of you. And you can start your first steps of faith today if you just reach out to him. Amen. So-